In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Así que iban todos a inscribirse, cada cual a su propio pueblo. También José subo a Nazaret, ciudad de Galilea, to Judea, to Bethlehem in the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Joseph musste sich dort einschreiben lassen, zu zahlen mit seiner Verlobten Maria, die eine Kind heiratet. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger, porque no había lugar para ellos en la posada. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Plötzlich trat einen Engel Gates zu ihnen, und Gates Licht umstrahlten sie. And they were terrified, but the angel said to them, Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. Und daran werdet ihr in Egen, das Kind liegt, in Windeln gewickelt, in eine Krüttelzippe. De repente apareció una multitud de ángeles del cielo, que alababan a Dios y decían, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Hello everyone and welcome to week four of A Strange Way to Save the World. I love that video of the folks reading the Christmas story because it really is a representation of people celebrating the birth of Christ all around the world. Jesus came to save the world. The first week, Pastor David Dean did a wonderful job talking about the perspective of Joseph and, and uh, what it must have meant to him to be a part of the Christmas story. And then the second week, Pastor Crystal did a wonderful job talking about the innkeeper and, and his viewpoint of, of the story. And then last week, Pastor Scott did a great job of talking about the wise men and their perspective and those implications. And today, I want to talk to you about Jesus the central character of the Christmas story. Today, as we look at Jesus dressing himself in humanity, I want to tell you it has a profound impact on where we are today, profound implications of our life. I love what Martin Luther said, the mystery of the humanity of Christ that he sunk himself into our flesh is beyond all human understanding. Would you just bow your heads for a moment and lean in and let's just ask God to speak to our hearts from his word today. Father, thank you for this time that we have to celebrate your birth. Thank you for this Christmas week, this Christmas season, that we can just pause and think about the implications of you dressing yourself in humanity. And I pray, Lord, for the next few moments you would just speak to us through your word and help us to see the transformation that can take place through Christ in our life. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So what did Jesus accomplish? What, what was the point of him coming back to earth? Well, we know that he came to die. 
Now, I don't know about you, but that would not be a motivation for me to come to earth just so that I would have to be crucified and hung on a cross. But Jesus saw the big picture, and he saw you, and he understood that, that uh, him coming to earth was going to be transformational in the life of everyone who walked this earth. So today, what I want to do is I want to look at what it is exactly that Jesus accomplished here on earth by coming here as a Christ child and uh, living here for 33 years and giving his life for us and, and, uh, and raising again from the dead. And, and uh, what an amazing story that we have through our Savior Jesus. The first implication, the first accomplishment that happened the night of his birth comes out of Luke chapter 2, the first three verses. And let me read them to you again. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So the first thing that uh, we see Jesus accomplishing is that he turned a negative situation. Nobody loves paying taxes, amen? It rolls around every year on April 15th. But here's this negative uh, uh, situation where they're having to travel and, and they're having to uh, uh, go and, and be a part of the census and, and pay their taxes. Jesus turned this negative situation into a positive experience. In fact, uh, this story that we tell would have never happened this way if there hadn't been a need for Joseph and Mary to travel. So Jesus came to transform your circumstances from a negative to a positive. Now, when I think about that, I think, you know what, uh, 2020 has been a pretty negative year, and now more than ever, we need to know that Jesus can take our negative circumstances and turn them into a positive. You know, I was thinking as I was preparing my message uh, for today, have you ever thought about the fact that the only instance where negative and positive are backwards are in the negative, in the medical field? And uh, we... We've uh, been going through this whole uh, testing for, for COVID-19 and, and uh, several of our folks have tested positive and we're praying for them and God is helping them through it and we're so thankful for that and we're trusting God to continue to, to heal them. Uh, but isn't it interesting that in the medical field, if you have uh, COVID-19, uh, that's a positive. But if you don't have it, that's a negative. That, that seems backward to me. I would say if we don't have it, that should be a positive, right? And if we do have it, that should be a, a negative. But it seems to me they've, they've, they've like flipped backwards and forwards and all of that. But, but the fact is that it doesn't matter what negative we're going through. Jesus can take that and he can turn it into a positive. And that's really what the Christmas story represents. I want to read another scripture to you out of Isaiah chapter 61. It's the first three verses there. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. Now understand, this is the prophetic words of Jesus. And he's saying, The world has sent me, and or the Lord has sent me and anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness 
for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of the joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. You know, I believe that God, no matter what the negative circumstances can be, can turn that into a display of his splendor. In other words, Jesus came to turn your discouragement into praise. Jesus spoke there of the garment of praise, and I picture myself putting on this garment like I'm putting on a coat. And when you go outside, you know, it's very cold. Christmas Day, oh my goodness. You know, I think that maybe we need to just uh, uh, maybe have Christmas uh, in in Florida every year. I don't know, but uh, I just tell you, it gets really cold and and I'm not gonna go outside without a coat. I'm gonna put on a coat. But you know, if my coat is hanging on the coat hanger in the house, and I go outside, it doesn't matter how nice that coat is, it doesn't matter how warm that coat is, it's not gonna do me any good because it's hanging inside the house on the coat hanger. The only way that that coat is going to help me is if I put on the garment before I go outside into the negativity of the coldness. I'm sorry, that's just kinda how I feel about it. But if I put the coat on, then go outside, the coat will keep me warm. Well, you say that seems pretty simple, yes. But why is it in the middle of the negative situations we forget that Jesus has a garment of praise that we can put on? And in that garment of praise, there is a protection, there is a help, there is a hope in those negative moments of discouragement and hurt. So I just want to tell you right now, Jesus has hope for you. He has help for you. When you are distressed, write this down somewhere. When you are distressed, be dressed in his praise. When you are distressed, put some praise music on. Read some psalms. As I told you this year, I've read through the Bible twice. I actually completed uh, earlier than I expected to. And so these last uh, a few weeks of, of 2020, I've gone back and I'm reading, I'm rereading just the book of Psalms. And I'm reading the praises and the prayer and the songs and, and just allowing that to just kind of sink in because I uh, more than ever need that. And I believe that we all need that. In these times, we need to put on the garment of praise and let, and let God protect us from the struggle that we face. So the first thing that Jesus did when he came is he took a negative circumstance, something that just seemed terrible and, 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 and awful, the traveling and, 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 the, and, and being Mary being pregnant and going through all of that, and he turned it into a positive story that we still celebrate now some 2,000 plus years later. The second thing that was accomplished, we find in verse 11 of Luke chapter 2. It says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. He is the one that comes and gives us strength and help. That word Messiah... If you look at the different words, in fact, you know what I did, and in, uh, if you open up a document in Word, you can right click on that word, and it will give you all the other words that, 
that kind of are similar to that word. And so I thought, you know what, I, I'm going to do that. I'm just going to, just as I'm preparing for the sermon, I just want, let's see what words uh, Microsoft Word gives me for the word Messiah. And it was so cool. Listen to this. The word Messiah, the words that came up along in that right column, if you've ever done that. Savior, of course. He is our Savior. The second word that came up, he is our leader. The word leader. The next word, liberator. Oh, I love that. Liberator. And that goes right with number two we're going to talk about in a moment. He's our savior, our leader, our liberator. The, the next word, the fourth word that came up, our champion. <laughs> How many of you know that Jesus Christ is our champion today? And then the last word that popped up in that column of words that, that were similar to Messiah or the meaning of Messiah was our defender. So I tell you this second uh, accomplishment, as I tell you what, uh, as I tell you what uh, the second accomplishment is, I want you to think of our Messiah, our Lord. He is our savior, our leader, our liberator, our champion. He is our defender. So are you ready? The second thing that Jesus, the Messiah, accomplished when he came to this earth is he gave us the hope of freedom. He gave us the hope of freedom. He is the one, our Savior, who gives us hope of freedom from sin. He is the one, our leader, who gives us hope of freedom from confusion. He is the one, our liberator, who gives us hope of freedom from those who oppress us. We have a freedom in Christ. Now, that freedom that Jesus gives us is a freedom from two specific areas. The first specific area that he gives us freedom in is a freedom from spiritual poverty. I love that. A little bit ago, we read from Isaiah 61, and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to what? Preach the good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. He has sent me to open the prisons to those who are bound. Aren't you glad for that this morning? He has come to give us the hope of freedom from spiritual poverty. He has also given us the hope of freedom from sin's slavery. Romans 6.18 says, You have been set free from sin and have become the slaves to righteousness. And then the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5.1, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm. Come on, say that with me. Wherever you're sitting, in your living room, in your kitchen, wherever you're watching, come on, say that with me. Stand firm. Come on, say it again, out loud. Stand firm. Then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Wow. The third accomplishment is found in verse 14. Luke 2.14 says, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So the third thing that he accomplished is he gave us the path to peace. And now more than ever, we need peace. We've seen more turmoil in so many different areas in the year of 2020 than we've seen probably in the 20 years prior. As we've watched 
across this nation and really across this world the turmoil that has taken place for so many different reasons. But Jesus said, I have come to give you a path to peace. I have come to restore the peace that sin has destroyed. You know, it's very important to note that the peace that Jesus came to bring is a spiritual peace, not necessarily an external peace. I think sometimes this is where we get a little confused because we look around us and we see a lot of things happening and it looks nothing like peace. I mean, can we just be honest? It looks nothing like peace. And we look around us and we see those things. We're like, wait a minute, Lord. I thought you said peace on earth. I thought you said that you were, you were going to give us peace, but this doesn't look like peace. But here's what I know, that we can find peace in the middle of the storm. It's like the story of Jesus when he was asleep on the boat and the storm came and, and uh, the, the boat began to be tossed back and forth and the disciples, they were, they were just going crazy because they, didn't, they, they just knew they were going to sink and, and here they are, they're bailing out water and they're, they're trying to keep that boat from going down and they look around, well, where's Jesus? We need to hand him a bucket and well, he's taking a nap. You say, well, how could Jesus take a nap when the boat is definitely about to sink? And I'll tell you why, because Jesus knew that boat is not going to sink because I'm in the boat and a boat that I am in is unsinkable. Come on, I want you to hear me this morning. If Jesus is in the boat, the boat is unsinkable. And literally the peace within may not eliminate the peace outside, the external peace, but it will give us the strength, come on now, to take a nap in the middle of the storm, huh? Now, don't take a nap on me yet. That's for later on today. But just know that Jesus came to give you peace in the middle of the storm. You see, he doesn't necessarily always calm the storm, but he calms his son and his daughter. I encourage you to receive that peace right now. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, let me give you a couple steps to peace. The first step to peace is you have to be in fellowship with God. You have to be in perfect harmony with God in your life. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Hmm. You know, there's a lot of people out there that assume that there's many paths to God. And I would agree with them to a point. There are many paths to God, but they all lead to Jesus. <laughs> and you have to come to Jesus first. And all of those paths are coming. And if you're trying to get to God without coming to Jesus, you're missing the whole point of God's plan, which is the Christmas story. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Why? Why would he do that? So that whoever believes in him, in Jesus, remember Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Anyone who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
You say, well, how do I do that? How? I mean, I, I believe Jesus was a man. I, I believe he walked the earth. I believe he was a good man. Well, that's, that's good. But even the devil believes that. That's not enough. You have got to actually receive him and call upon him as your personal savior. You see, your mom's religion won't do it. Your dad's religion won't do it. Your grandparents' religion won't do it. None of that matters unless you make it personal yourself. And we've been talking a lot about lately how to do that. And we've been, we've been just breaking it down very simple, like ABC. It's just as simple as ABC. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, I have to admit, I have to believe, and I have to confess. I have to admit that I'm a sinner. I have to admit that I've sinned. And guess what? Just go ahead and do it because we have all sinned. The Bible said in, in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's all of us. That's me. That's you. Just, just admit it. Just say, Lord, I've sinned. I, I admit that I've sinned. Then the second one is, I believe. I believe that God loves me and that he will forgive me. I'm going to believe what the Bible says about that. I'm going to believe that, that he loves me and that he will forgive me if I ask him. Now that takes a little bit of faith, but it, it, it just takes enough to just say, you know what? My life is terrible. I know I need help. I need hope. And Jesus is the one I'm going to call upon to bring that hope. And if you can bring yourself to that place, John 1.12 says, yet to all who did receive him, to the those he believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. There's that fellowship I'm talking about. You know, we have a special bond with our children, don't we? We have a special bond with our parents. Why? Because we're family. The old saying we've, we've said, I've heard it all my life, blood runs thicker than water. That's so true because family matters. And, you, you know, I, I, might, I might say something mean to my family, but you better not say something mean to my family or, or it's on, right? Well, think of it this way. The blood of Christ runs even thicker than that blood. So when you hear that word, the blood runs thicker than water, think of the blood of Christ that was shed on a cross that he might wash away all of your sins. And if you call on his name, the third one is see if you confess with your mouth that he is your Lord. Confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. You see, I admit I'm a sinner. I believe that God loves me and that he will forgive me. And I confess with my mouth, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Romans 10, 9 says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Wow. Isn't that awesome? So steps to peace. The first step is that one. You have to have fellowship with God. And if you'll just stick with me in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. The second one is a freedom from sin's guilt. You see, Jesus didn't just come to forgive me of my sin. He came to free me from sin's dominion, from sin's stronghold. To give me not just life, but life to the full. To give me uh, not just, uh, I'm going to make it. I just hope I make it. Not that attitude, but boy, I just love God so much. I know that I will make it. I always go back to the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans, the first verse that I quote often. You've heard me quote it if you've heard me preach for very long. is Romans 12, 1. 
He says, therefore, I urge you, I beg you, I implore you, brothers and sisters. So what he's doing is he's talking to those that are already in fellowship with God. They've already done the ABC. They've already, they've already accepted Christ as their personal savior. And he says, here's what I want you to know. There's more. Jesus didn't just come to give me a, a fellowship with God, but he came to give me freedom from sin's guilt. So this is good news. I, I, I believe that if Paul was here today, he said, listen, I'm not preaching at you. I'm helping. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching with you. I'm, I'm talking with you. I want you to know there's something even more. Yes, forgiveness is great. The freedom that comes from, from the forgiveness of sins and the fellowship with God is amazing. That's life. God gained, uh, sent Jesus to give us life, but he also came to give us life to the full, the freedom from sin's guilt. So Paul says, that's what I want you to know. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, understand that God's mercy goes deeper than just the forgiveness of my sins. It goes clear deep into the innermost parts of our being where we can allow Jesus to, to purify us and, and to free us from the guilt and the chains of sin. Well, how do we do that? You offer yourselves, your bodies, your selfish ambitions, those things that you are still kind of pulled to do that you know are wrong. You say, well, how can we do that when we're still a Christian? Because there's a battle, there's a war going in. When you ask Jesus to come into your life, the Holy Spirit took up residence within your, yourself. You, it made this the, the temple of the Holy Spirit, the, the tabernacle of God. That's why you can have church right where you are in your living room and wherever it is you're watching because you are the tabernacle of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But a lot of us are walking around with the Holy Spirit living inside, but also a whole bunch of selfishness where we're pulling stuff our way too. And the Holy Spirit will prompt us and say, no, no, that's not what's best for you. Don't tell me what's best for me. I know what's best for me. I've been doing this for years and I know. And that battle rages and rages and it's just a miserable way to live. And, and the apostle Paul knew that. He knew that there were a lot of Christians that were walking around with just enough Jesus to make them miserable. And what happens is, after we ask Jesus in our life, we have kind of like the honeymoon period, and, and we're just glad to be forgiven, and we're glad that everything's great. But then that selfishness begins to creep in. And so the apostle Paul says, if you will lay that on the altar, look what he says. He says, offer your bodies, offer your selfishness, offer your ambition, offer those things uh, that will pull you, anything, what is he talking about? Anything that will pull me away from the love of God. Anything that I watch, anything that I do, anything that I say, anywhere that I go, those things that cause my heart to be pulled away from God. Are you listening to me this morning? I hope you are. I, like the Apostle Paul, am so passionate about this because of the freedom that comes from it. So listen, he says, if you will take those things and lay them as a living sacrifice, there's another implication uh, and helps us understand that he's talking to Christians because we're now alive in Christ. And so we take that living being, that living body and place it on the altar of God as a sacrifice. He says, this is holy and this is pleasing to God. Now I know that there's a pretty good chance 
that if you're watching me this morning and you're sitting here and you've made it this far and you're listening, there's a pretty good chance that you want to live a life that's pleasing to God. Why else would you spend the time sitting here listening to the Bible verses and listening about Jesus and confessing our sins if there wasn't something inside you that gave you a desire to please God? Do you, let me ask you, do you want to please God? I believe you do. I really do. I believe in you. God believes in you. And so what Paul is saying is this, if you really want to be holy, if you really want to be set apart, if you want to be righteous, and that word basically just means right with God. If you really want to be right with God and pleasing to God, this, what I've just told you, presenting all of those selfish ambitions and self aggrandizing ways of thought and all of those things. If, if you will place those on the altar and say, God, I give them to you. I, I'm going to follow you 100%. He says, this is your true, watch this, and proper worship. Do you remember a little bit ago we talked about the garment of praise? I want to tell you something. If you will get a hold of this concept, this garment of praise will just explode in your life in a way that will be such a protection and such a peace in the middle of the storm, it will blow you away. It will not only blow you away, it'll blow your neighbors away. It'll blow your family members away. It'll, it'll blow your coworkers away. It'll blow everybody you meet in Walmart away. They'll say, there's something different about that person. Look at them. They're going through the same thing I'm going. I know they are. Why in the world are they praising God? Why in the world are they so happy? I'll tell you why. Because they presented their own ways, their own direction as a living sacrifice on the altar of God. And they said, Lord, this is yours. And through that, the true and proper worship explodes. I want to tell you something. If every one of us would get a hold of this before January 3rd, when we come back into this room, we'll probably just sing all day long. Because I want to tell you, when there's a freedom that comes from being set free from the bondage of sin, you can't help but praise God. You can't help but shout his name. You can't help but sing his name. Oh, it just erupts from your soul. You don't have to put it on. You don't have to pretend. It's because the freedom of God so exudes out of you because you are so full of God and his spirit that you can't help but tell the world about Jesus. Oh, my dream as a pastor is to have a church full of surrendered believers that are ready to worship God through song and through word and through prayer and through message that are ready to just worship God. God and lift their hearts and praise him. Oh, dear God, give me a church that is fully surrendered to God and we will reach the world for Christ. I believe it with all of my heart. And it starts with you and it starts with me. On January 3rd, we're going to begin our 21 days of prayer. And I want it to be our prayer as a church. I want it to be your prayer as a believer. Even if you don't go to our church, it doesn't matter. This is for all who will believe. For God so loved the world. God loved every one of those ones that were reading the Bible story during that sermon intro. All across the world, God loves you. I don't care where you are right now. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. God has the power to 
set you free and he's ready to give it to you today. That is the gift of Christmas. The gift of Christmas is Jesus Christ himself and he's made himself available for that right now. Again, in Romans chapter 14, the Apostle Paul says, this is out of the good news, for God's kingdom is not a matter of eating and drinking, watch this, but of righteousness and of peace. Oh, we think, uh, you know, the, we worry about what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear. I worry about it all the time. I evidently don't worry enough, but I should worry more about it. But I'm going to tell you, that's not what the kingdom of God is about. He'll take care of all that. The kingdom of God is about righteousness. Watch this. It's about peace. There you go. Fellowship with God, which brings peace and joy, which the Holy Spirit gives. Oh, I pray right now that the Holy Spirit is present right there in the room where you're watching. I pray that God's Holy Spirit will begin to strive with you and speak with you. He did not come to give us guilt. He came to give us freedom. Again, in Romans chapter 8, the first two verses, therefore, there is now no condemnation. Say that with me. No condemnation. Come on, claim it right now this morning. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has, watch this, has set me free from the law of sin and of death. <laughs> God came to give freedom and peace. God did not come to lay guilt on us. You see, guilt is from the enemy. Oh, guilt says, I'm no good. Guilt says, there's no way I could ever measure up. Guilt says, I, I, I've messed up too bad. Guilt says that it doesn't really mean me. It, it, there's no way it could have meant me. I, I know the Bible says for all, uh, for, for uh, God sent his son for the whole world, but it, it couldn't have meant me, Pastor. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know the thoughts that I have. And I want to tell you something. You're right, I don't. But God does. And he still wrote the verse. For God so loved, put your name there. He knew you by name, and he still wrote the verse. For God so loved Bob and Jill and Larry. God still loved Mary and Susan. Just put your name in there. God so loved you that he sent the Christ child to be born in a manger. Why would he do that? So that you would believe in him. God is not the author of guilt. Guilt is, the, is from the enemy. Guilt, guilt says that I'm just worthless. I'm worth nothing. No, no. Jesus said you're worth everything. You're worth all that I have. You are worth me giving my life for you. Now, isn't it interesting that as we celebrate Jesus' birth, we do something that we really don't do for anybody else for their birthday. What is that? We literally reenact his birth. I mean, we just did that uh, a couple weekends ago with a live nativity. And, and we had uh, over a thousand cars or, or a thousand people drive through and see the nativity and see the telling of the story of Jesus' birth. Wouldn't it be kind of silly if every time we had a birthday, we said, all right, uh, it's time for the reenactment. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, we're going to reenact your birth. So uh, this will be the hospital bed and this will be your mom. No, 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 no. Stop right there. No, we are not going to be doing that, right? 
But for Jesus, we reenact his birth because it is so important, this moment in history that split the calendar in two and changed the world forever. Normally, we celebrate the age of the person, right? And so for Jesus... That'd be a pretty big cake. That'd be a lot of candles, right? 2,000 plus candles. We may never get them blown out and there wouldn't be a cake left, right? But for just a moment, let's imagine that it is a normal birthday party, a normal birthday celebration, and we have the cake and and, uh, the guest of honor is Jesus. And so just after the fun and the joyful singing and the gift giving and, and all of that, we shout out, speech, speech. Jesus quiets the room. What might he say to us? Just imagine for a moment, we're at at Jesus' birthday party. Now I'll tell you something, that'd be a big party. Because everybody that could possibly come would come, right? And he quiets everybody down. What might he say? Well, I believe that if Jesus were to give a speech this morning, his number one concern would be our relationship with him. His number one concern would be something like, find me in relationship, not in religion. Find me in relationship, not in rules. Find me in relationship, not in rituals. Find me in relationship. You see, rules and rituals and religion are the seedbed of judgmentalism. And that's where the guilty feelings come from. God didn't come to push you down and to make you feel terrible and to make you feel guilty. He came to convict us, the Bible says. And the root word there is to convince. And so how did he do that? He sent his son Jesus to prove to us how much he loves us. He sent his son Jesus to come to this earth, be born of a virgin in a manger, in a horse stall, and to walk this earth, coming down from the kingdom where he has everything, to a carpenter shop which is as plain as can be, and then to give his life crucified on a cruel cross. You see, that was to convince us that he loves us. And that if we'll believe in him, we shall not perish. But the problem is, we get so caught up in the rules and the religion that judgmentalism springs forth. We judge ourselves. We judge others. I believe that judgmentalism is the enemy of the church. I believe that judgmentalism is the enemy of Christianity. Religious or religion makes us inspectors, not encouragers. Well, do they really measure up? Well, I knew they'd mess up. I knew it. But the fruit of a right relationship brings joy, not a list of rules. I call it checklist Christianity. Checklist Christianity says, you know, I've got this list of do's and don'ts and I just check it off. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Good. Got it to go. No, no, no. That's not a relationship with Jesus at all. And when we find freedom from sin's bond, sin's, sin's bondage, 
And when we find freedom uh, to live a life to the full, then we find relationship with God. We find relationship which produces innocence. So I want to end with this verse and then we're going to pray. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. He's talking about the enemy, the devil. He comes to only steal and kill and destroy. But I have come, says Jesus, that they may have life and have it to the full. Could we do this right now? Could you just lean in for a moment and listen? Right where you're sitting. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, now is your moment. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do it. All you have to do is admit, believe, and confess. Admit that you've sinned. Believe that Jesus loves you and he'll forgive you. And confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You can do that right now, right where you're sitting. You don't have to wait. And if you're there and you've already prayed that prayer, but you've allowed kind of the bondage of, uh, of selfish desires and, and selfish motivations and self-directed ambition and allowed those things to kind of pull you away from that, that first love of Jesus that you had when you first gave your heart to Christ, there's freedom for you today, right now. So I want you, just for a moment, just bow your heads and let's pray. Lord, right now, if there are those under the sound of my voice that are watching today that have never accepted you as their personal Savior, I pray that this would be their moment. If that's you, I want you to just pray this the best way you know how with me. Would you do it? Dear Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. Lord, I believe that you love me and that you died for me and that you will forgive me. And so I confess my sin to you. I confess those things that I've done. I give them to you. I ask you to forgive me and I confess you as my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the best way I know how, I accept you right now to be my Savior. Change me from the inside out. The Bible says that if I ask, if I confess my sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So I claim that verse in 1 John 1, 9 right now, Lord. And I ask you to change me from the inside out. And Lord, if there are those that are watching right now in this moment, and they prayed that prayer, maybe, maybe a week ago, maybe a year ago, maybe many years ago, but for whatever reason, they've just lost that peace. They just don't sense your presence as much anymore. And Lord, perhaps it's because they've allowed the distractions of life and the things that will pull me away from God to kind of, kind of get in the way of my relationship with you. I pray right now that they would follow the encouragement of the Apostle Paul 
and that they would lay those things, all of those distractions, whatever they are right now, wherever you're sitting, you know what they are. You know what those things are that, that pull you away from God. You know what those things are that you battle with inside that you know you shouldn't be doing, but you do them anyway. Or you know you, you, you should be doing, but you're not doing them. You know what those are. I don't have to call them out. You know what they are. Just give them to Jesus right now. Say, Lord, I lay them on the altar of sacrifice. I, I'm going to do what Paul asked, and I'm going to, I'm going to, lay them at your feet a living sacrifice I'm gonna lay myself my entire being a living sacrifice I'm gonna give myself to you in an act of worship true proper worship I worship you now set me free not just to have life but to have life to the full I pray in Jesus name and for his sake amen Oh, church, I believe that all across uh, the, the watching uh, community, I believe right now that that prayer has been prayed many times. I'm just claiming it in Jesus' name. And the Bible says if anyone prays that first prayer and accepts Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, that heaven has a party. And so I want us to just celebrate with them right now. Come on, come on, wherever you are, even if you're alone, come on, put your hands together and say, praise God for what he's doing. Praise God for what he has done. Amen. We give him glory for that. And uh, that's why we have baptisms, because we have so many people that are coming to Christ. And we have three more that are going to be baptized very soon. And we're just claiming that God will continue to do that. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer of surrender, total surrender to God, come on, I want to tell you something. It's real. It is real. You, you, I get excited about it. You know why I get excited about it? Because I know it's real. I've experienced it in my life, and I know God has it for you as well. It is real. Claim it right now in the name of Jesus, and we will believe God to do great and mighty things. Amen. Come on, say amen right where you are. Come on, say amen. Amen, amen, amen. Well, thank you for joining us today. It has been a pleasure to be able to speak to you. I believe that God's Holy Spirit is going to use it to change our lives. I'm just trusting that with all of my heart. Don't forget, as you saw earlier, that if, uh, that if you have an offering to give, uh, for you to give, uh, you can do that online. You can mail it in. Uh, you can go to our website, whatever it is. Uh, if you've been contemplating some year-end giving, we would love it if you would include the ministry of Capital City Church in that giving. I just love you so much. God loves you. Merry Christmas again. And we will see you next week, God willing, right here in the room. God bless you.